We're here because we are being transformed into Christ-likeness. Um, uh, the, the year has changed, but the theme hasn't. Uh, we still have ways to go, right? Okay, so let's say it again together. We are being transformed into Christ-likeness. And one of the ways that uh, the Lord will help us make that happen is through the ministry of the preaching of Dr. Don Stelting. I um, was talking to Tom King just a minute ago. I, I guess I assumed this day would happen, but I just didn't ever think it would. This will be, at least for the near future, the last time that Dr. Stelting preaches in chapel for a while. So I want you to just thank him in advance, would you? Well, let's pray together, shall we? Father, there are few words more precious to us than when we turn our hearts and our attention to you and call you Father. And what great power there is in the idea that you are the Holy One. And that is true whether we say it or not. But when we do, Lord, when we do in some, in some great way, we are agreeing with the millions through countless ages who with open hands and open hearts have declared you to be the Holy One. Thank you, Father, for gathering us together. Thank you for keeping us warm. Thank you for living in our hearts. Thank you for bringing salvation into the world. And now be with us tonight. May this be your time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Well, good evening. Thank you for coming. I appreciate that very much. Uh, I thought that maybe you heard I was going to speak and you wouldn't show up. And that would have been, would have been good. L listen, I, um, I count as my greatest privilege not just to preach somewhere, but to preach here. And uh, this will be uh, my last time to preach in chapel as uh, academic dean. And uh, so if I get emotional tonight, I'll preach right through it and you just do whatever you want to do. You can get emotional with me if you want. That's, that's fine. We can all cry. Now, I'm not planning to cry. I'm going to work my very best not to cry. I don't, I don't have crying written into the notes anywhere. It's not there. And uh, instead, we'll just talk. But, but since this is my last time, I, I've got some latitude. Or I'm going to take some latitude. And I'm going to talk a little bit, uh, maybe preach some. And um, I, I, th I thought I would, I, I thought I would spend some time giving you some ideals for Christ-like leadership. Mentioned that to a colleague and he said, well, that's broad enough. You ought to be able to find something going there somewhere. Uh, but I thought I would do that. Um, and and my, my, my gimmick, you need to have a gimmick in, in a sermon. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but every sermon's got a gimmick or two. 
And so my gimmick is, um, it, it came to me as I was watching uh, football on television over the past week. Uh, and probably the only one who's done that. So, uh, <laughs> but I, I noticed that a lot of the football players were not only putting the the eye black under their eyes, but they were scribing messages in them. <laughs> I like that. Tim Tebow is is the is the prototype on this. Uh, if you haven't, if you don't know who Tim Tebow is. Uh, there are people around here who can tell you. Our president will let you know if, if you really need to know who Tim Tebow is. Um, his last game as a college player, he was being heralded as the greatest uh, college football player of all time. It, you know, it sounds good when it's your last game and there, there's no one else being remembered. But they, they always come right down on him and it shows. And this time, this time it said Galatians, no, it said Ephesians 2. 8 and 9 and 10. How many right away know what that verse is? Good, because I get to tell you something. A few of you do. Um, and, so, and so I'm going to... I, I didn't put any eye black on tonight. And the only reason I didn't is the fact that I have three different messages I'd like to give. And I couldn't change them real fast. So... It's, <laughs> So I, I'm, I'm going to give you, give you three different uh, messages in the eye black tonight that are verses that I believe are, have some really important messages about Christ-like leadership. And since this is my last time, I thought I'd just use ideas that I thought were important. Uh, you, this is difficult for me because for me, I really, I really like expositional sermons. I like to take a portion of scripture and just spend some time in it, but it's not going to be that way. Uh, Dr. Matson preached in church Sunday and he said much the same thing, uh, but his reason was different than mine. Um, I don't know what his reason was, but it was different than mine. <laughs> so there's that. So here we go. Let's, uh, let me get my notes. Because it's my last time, I also have pretty tight notes, otherwise we'd be here for an hour and a half, and you don't want that, and I don't want that either. Thank you, my, my wife is so helpful. I, had a, I used to have a joke that I told. Um, I would say, it's nice to have my wife here, uh, it's because, because we have a set of signals worked out to help me when I'm preaching. This means that your tie is crooked. Uh, this means your collar needs to be put down, and this means you got hair coming down the front of your forehead. And then I would pause and say, it's been a while since she's used that one. Yes. <laughs> so, oh well, so, but always, always glad to have Pam here. Uh, very special to me. Okay, here we go. First eye patch. I'm going to use the same one that Tim Tebow used. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Um, the, the reason I am is, is the fact that I believe that the very beginning place of understanding Christ-like leadership is right here in this verse. This verse is a, these verses, these three verses together are very powerful. And um, we've heard them over and over again, but I, 
I, I think that we've often spent all of our time on the first half of, these, uh, of this portion and forgotten to really look carefully at the last half. And that's where it is. So here it is. Uh, Ephesians chapter, uh, I'll have to read here. For it's by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Um, there are some very important characteristics that are consistently true in the life of a person who is born again. I, I believe this. I, I, I believe that something very special happens when a person finds Jesus Christ as personal savior. It's not just that they have made some mental decision to be a different person. I am convinced that a very miraculous and powerful thing happens in that moment of conversion. And flowing out of that experience, there are some things that are consistently true. I believe that someone who is truly born again has just got to tell somebody. I don't think you can be quiet about it. Someone's got to hear what's happened to me. It's just that real. Secondly, I believe that there is a real desire to be holy. I believe it's true. I believe that when someone finds Jesus Christ as personal Savior, they feel so free of guilt and sin. I know I did, but I just, I just wanted to be like Jesus. I wanted to be that holy, that pure. He, he had made me that pure. I, I, I sensed it. I knew it. His, his spirit quickened my spirit, and I knew something had changed. And I wanted to be holy. Still want that, by the way. There's a third thing that's pointed to right here. People who are genuinely born again want to serve. They want to do good works. You see, we all know and recognize and rejoice in the fact that we have been saved not by good works. They, they, they can't save you. We heard, hear it over and over again. We remind ourselves. We sing songs about it. It's an important part of our, of our church doctrine and what it means to be a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. But the second half of this is that we're not just saved from sin, we're also saved to service. You can't separate them. They are inseparable. In fact, if, if someone says they're born again and they don't have any interest in being a Christ-like servant, then they probably have no interest in the person who came to be the suffering servant, as told about in Isaiah chapter 53. Uh, there are old doctrines that say, well, since God's grace is so important, we need to even go on sinning just to show how, how powerful God's sin is, or his, his grace is. And that's crazy. The sixth chapter of Romans, Paul just kicked that all to pieces. That's, that's not true. But you need to take it a step further and understand that while good works cannot save you, good works is what God saved you to do. He prepared a whole plethora of good works. Got them all lined up so that when you're saved, you're now prepared to do them. It's a wonderful, powerful verse. So the first ideal 
that I have here is that God's redemptive plan is balanced and complete. He saves us from sin and to service. It is a two-sided truth, and both are true at exactly the same time. Ah, uh, second one. Ready? Um, John 15, 17. Might, might be the second verse you ever memorized in Sunday school. The first verse was John chapter 11. Jesus wept. That was, that was the first one. This, this is the second one. John chapter 15, verse 17. Love one another. Now, that is my second ideal for Christ-like leadership. In, in fact, that particular phrase comes from a section. It is the, it is the closing words. They are the closing words of a, of a much longer section. And I'm going to read that longer section because I want you to listen very carefully. And if you have your Bible, I want you to open there. John chapter 15. We're going to read uh, from uh, verse 9 through 17. But I want you to pay attention. I want you to notice that in this, Jesus has three different themes that he weaves together. The first theme is love. The second theme is obedience. And the third theme is service. All three of them together. And they go together. Now listen very carefully as we read this. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete or full. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that he lay down his life for his friends. Now here it gets, it gets really profound. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. Now, this, this is a great verse for Bible school memory. It, it's great, but it's much more profound than that. Because Jesus is not talking about the fact that we ought to get along together and play nicely, though that is true. He's talking about much more than that. He is laying down a scheme for proper Christian leadership. He says, my love is what makes this happen. And he uses the word agape love here. It is godly love. And then he says, I want you to remain in my love. By saying that, he was saying, this is a status that you may maintain. It is your choice, and you may do it. But remaining in my love means that you must obey my commandments. And if you obey my commandments, you will bear fruit. In other words, you will serve. 
You will do good works. You will do his business. And then he does something that's a bit strange here. He says, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. Now, please understand, Jesus was not rejecting the use of the word servant. It's a properly, it's a good word. He used it other places to mean someone who serves. In that sense, all of us are servants. But he tried to clarify a point here. He said there is a status much more profound than just being a servant. He said a servant is someone who does what the master says. The master says drive a nail in that piece of wood, they drive the nail on that piece of wood. You drive a nail on this piece of wood and they'll drive a nail and eventually the house will be bit. But the servant does not know they're building a house. All he knows to do is to drive the nails that the master says to drive. But he said, he said you, you're my friends. You're my friends. A servant doesn't know the master's business. By saying that, he meant that friends do know the master's business. This is all in the context of love. The word friend literally means, in fact, it's a word which comes from the word love in Greek. It's a phileo term of the word love. But it means you are the loved ones. Service and Christian leadership is based on our love. Love for him, love for the Father, and love for each other. Christian leadership makes no sense at all unless it is done in the context of powerful, godly love. A love in which we live and share with each other. In, in one breath then Jesus talks of love, obedience, and service, in a sense, they all mean the same thing because they all come to the same point. It's a cycle, it goes on and on. Christian leadership only exists within the practice of Christian service. If you want to be a leader and just stand there, tough luck, can't do it. It's in service that Christian leadership blossoms and becomes real. Christ-like leadership is not, I'm going to read this because I think it's important. I wrote it, of course I think it's important. Christ-like leadership is not characterized by standing at the top of an organizational pyramid giving orders that plummet downward making people jump. Christ-like leadership is living in a circle of friends infusing that whole group with purpose, plans, and energy. That's what Christian leadership is. Let me tell you a little story. It comes right from the Bible. Near the end of his earthly ministry, two of his disciples brought their mom to come see Jesus. And the three of them somehow said, they don't know who was the mouthpiece, but they said to Jesus, Hey, Jesus, would you grant us a, a, a request? And Jesus said, Well, what's your request? They said, When you come to your kingdom, would you, would you let one of the boys sit on your right hand and one of the boys sit on your left hand. I think Jesus blinked a couple times and said, uh, are you able to drink of the cup that I'm going to drink? They said, oh yeah, yeah, we, yeah sure we can, yeah. And Jesus said, well, truth is you are going to drink of the cup that I drink of. But to grant you to sit on my right and left, that's not mine to give. It's been prepared for others. 
He didn't even say that. He said it's, it's prepared for some. He was very vague about it. And so they went off, but the other disciples heard what happened. We, we hear the first part of the story. Here's the second part of the story. The other disciples heard what happened, and they were, they were aggravated. They were downright mad about this. And so Jesus brought them all together and said, Now let me tell you, guys, out in the Gentile world, they have, they have people who are over people who are over people who are over people. But among you, that is not so. Christian leadership is in service. So, find my notes. Christian leadership My counsel to you is this, serve in the midst of people, count your successes in terms of how many others you make into the friends of Jesus, friends who share the master's business with you. I told you I had to read these things just to keep on track. Number three, eye black again. Philippians chapter three, verse 10. I want to know Christ. How's that about leadership? In Christ's sort of leadership, it is not our personal dynamics. It is in knowing him that leadership is empowered. Knowing Christ is the passion, the passion that fuels all genuine leadership in Christian service. Done for any other reason, it's the wrong reason. Knowing him brings stability in a sea of uncertainty, patience with situations that are all too human. It makes sense of complex situations, gives depth to your understanding, prioritizes your all too limited resources and gives you peace when you pray, especially in the dark hours of the night. Now I'm going to read this. Ladies and gentlemen, I have served for 44 years in ministry assignments. I have served as youth pastor in five churches and in one parachurch organization, been senior pastor in two churches and twice been the interim pastor. I have served Nazarene higher education for almost 33 years, 14 and a half of those years here at NBC. I was professor for nine years and a vice president for over 23 years. I have walked with church parishioners and students through unbelievably deep waters and have been through the fire more than once with my own challenges. I have seen my own two sons come to saving knowledge in Jesus Christ under my personal preaching. I, I have heard others whine about their difficulties in ministry and in Christian service. 
but I want to go on record that I wouldn't change a thing. Not a thing. Because you see, in all of it, I've worked among people who made it a point to be a friend to Jesus. And that's the only way I want it to be. Thank you. Stelting's prayer and testimony is this last song. And it would also be as an invitation to us. Let's sing. Lead me, Lord. I will follow. Lead me, pray for you. But Father, the only thing that makes this gathering special is the powerful presence of your Holy Spirit. We acknowledge that on our own we are lost and lost dreadfully. But by your grace, by your touch, 
by your seeking of our souls and by the exercise of the faith that you made available to us we are whole we are new we are alive thank you and your Holy Spirit has spoken to us again we want that always to be true we ask that your word would take such a permanent place in our lives that those who hear us would not know where our words leave off and your words begin and so Lord may we become less and less and you become more and more so that you are glorified and your kingdom is built Lord we go back to classes we go back to studies we go back to life but make it true that we are different somehow for having spent our time here together thank you for calling us friends remind us of the work you have for us to do and make it joyful over and over again that we may follow you in Jesus name we pray amen you are dismissed